0: As you have heard, for the season of Advent leading to Christmas, we are focusing on what it means to get ready for a guest. The celebration of Jesus' birth is about God coming to the earth that he made and desiring to live in our hearts. Jesus hopes to find a welcome home with us individually as well as in his gathered body. And as such, we're going to begin each week with a reflection of different aspects of what that means to us. How do we prepare for a guest in our home? And so while we think about these familiar routine acts of hospitality, we're going to look at different scriptures and help them to come alive uh, in a fresh way through the spirit as we understand the Messiah who comes to dwell among his people. So let's begin by pondering a little bit the notion of hospitality. It's an opportune time since we are finishing up a holiday weekend where some of us either hosted people or visited others in our homes. And while we may have various traditions or values around the conversation of hospitality, all of us know when we feel truly welcomed and when we don't. We know when we're being a bother and we're highly aware when people are burdening us. So let's talk about that for a second. How is it for you when people come to visit you in your home? Often I'm the person that extends the invitation and Mark has got to catch up and doesn't like it when I don't talk to him about it first. But then as the time gets closer and the calendar gets full, I panic, wondering how is everything going to get ready? And sometimes I think, why did I do this again? But there's often a sense of anticipation as the time draws close for guests to arrive. Guests come to see you for a reason. Depending on the visitor, we might be super excited or like, oh yeah, or really dreading the time. Often I have put so much effort in making sure that everything was just right that I have missed being present with our guests. But putting all of our time in the externals misses the point of the visit, doesn't it? Hospitality is actually about offering friendship and the chance to be together. It's the gift of wanting others to feel cherished and welcomed. It's about meeting their needs and what it is that they need when they come into our space. We might think it's about having beautiful things just right or entertaining them, but truthfully, hospitality is about extending ourselves so others would know that we love them. Like you, I have felt unwelcome in the most charming places. And I have been treated like families, like family in the humblest of circumstances. It isn't about the setting as much as it is the heart of the one welcoming us in. This summer, I had a spontaneous outside breakfast with a friend over a simple bowl of cereal and blueberries because that's what they had. And it was one of the most delightful visits and memorable times that we were able to share as friends. We welcome others when we extend ourselves to make room for them our text today for this first Sunday of Advent is Jeremiah 33:14 14 through 16. And in these verses, we see a small piece of a promise God makes to his people to come and live among them, when no part of what is being said even seems possible. So Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16 O God of eternity, we seek you to be our wisdom today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill the spaces of what I have prepared in my finite understanding so that you would teach us your truth. Lord of the Church, we celebrate all you have done and all you have yet to show us. May you find us humble of heart and open of mind in this moment. Amen. Let's talk for a few minutes about what's going on in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born around 645 BCE to a priestly family at the age of 20. Think about the 20-year-olds in your life. At the age of 20, God called him to be a prophet into a tumultuous political and spiritual time for Israel He lived about two uh, miles outside the city of Jerusalem, close enough to understand the intrigue of what went on while still being separate enough to be considered an outsider. But what actually set him apart was that God kept insisting that Jeremiah give warnings to the people, that Jeremiah preach, even though almost nobody listened, including the Hebrew kings, and it wreaked havoc. On Jeremiah's soul. In fact, at the time of this writing, Jeremiah has been imprisoned by King Zedekiah while the city is literally imploding from the inside out. The Hebrew people lived with fear of being conquered. Israel has already been conquered and Judah remains. And if we look at a map of the time, we understand why. Because tiny Judah sat in between the huge nation of Assyria to the north and the Egyptians to the south and to the west. And during Jeremiah's time, the rulers of Judah were constantly trying to figure out who to trust and who to make a deal with to avoid destruction. And on top of this, the nation was dealing with generations of idolatry and not being obedient to God. Since the leaders and most of the people didn't seek God, he chose not to protect them when the Babylonians came. The Babylonians had conquered the Assyrians and laid siege to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah told them, Don't fight. You're not going to win. The Lord says don't. But yet again, they didn't listen. And so there was about a year of King Nebuchadnezzar slowly killing them with the prophecies coming true that nobody wanted to happen. Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is burned, and everyone, including Jeremiah, is sent to exile. And in the middle of this bleak time, as the people are starving and dealing with disease and their home falling, God gives these words to the prophet. Jeremiah had actually been crying out to the Lord, lamenting that a city of his beloved people were going to perish into unmerciful hands because God would do nothing to help. And in response, this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. As chaos and death is increasing and there's little hope to be found, God talks about redemption and healing The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made. In this book, Jeremiah uses the phrase, Surely the time is coming 16 times. Seven of them refer to the coming destruction of Judah and the nations around it. But nine of the times he uses the phrase, It's to point to a future time when the people would be blessed and restored from captivity from an unknown benefactor. At that time, the Lord says, the nation will once again experience peace. Do you see the overarching theme of this scripture? It's righteousness. God will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, from David who will execute justice and righteousness in the land. And those who live in the land will live in safety. And their name will be, the Lord is our righteousness. Think about that. What would it be like to be known by that name? Not I am righteous, or you should be righteous, but the Lord is our righteousness. Doesn't that put the emphasis where it should be? I want to be known by that name. The Lord is my righteousness. The picture of the righteous branch that has sprung up has a parallel thought in Isaiah that you might recognize, that the root comes up from the stump of Jesse, King David's father, Jesus' line. So we try to picture a tree cut down where nothing is alive, but there is a sprout of green coming out of the stump. The image reminds us that God brings new life out of death, that that is his job. And God wants to assure the people that new life can unexpectedly emerge at any time from what is dead. In other places in Jeremiah, the Messiah is called the fount of living water, the good shepherd, the redeemer. But here it is a picture of new life. The guest who comes is unlike any other. More than just wanting to live among them, this visitor has a specific purpose. The visitor will execute justice and righteousness in the land because the people and the land have suffered a great deal, but all is not lost. People are never beyond God's reach. Devastation might be happening all around but God is faithful and when help comes, all of creation will be restored. We read in Ezra how partial restoration for God's people did happen. When Jesus comes, he brings incredible life and yet still today, we wait. Advent is about waiting, waiting for the arrival, the coming of the Lord, for the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan to be revealed. And so, until that time, we hold on to the branch, choosing to believe that there is hope, no matter how much evidence there is to the contrary. Listen to this quote from J.D. Walt, who is the editor of Seedbed. In the midst of a trial, I really just want relief. But Jesus wants deep reformation and restoration. I want help. He wants healing. I want escape, he wants engagement, I want comfort. He wants the conversion of my deepest self into his deepest likeness. In short, I want him to give me strength to fight my battles, but he insists on being my strength to fight his battles. Jesus comes to be a guest in our world, and when guests come, we anticipate what that time will bring. When it is God, we anticipate being plucked out of our hardships, but our Savior comes and brings us what he wants, what we most need. According to this passage, it means justice for those who don't have it and correction for those who live as they want. In other scriptures, we get a different picture of what the Messiah will be, but God's assurance is that he will bring his character to live among the people. And because of that, Things will change as we trust him. In the beginning of the season of Advent, we want to think about the promise being made to us by the Lord in this passage and what it means for us as we hope in a new day. Advent reminds us again that we live in the glorious expectation as we celebrate the hope of the Savior born. But in Advent, we also have to recognize the harsh realities of the present condition of our world. So our hope is not in the joy and the wonder of the holiday. Our confidence is of the promise of the living God who comes to dwell with us, even as we wait again for him to come in glory. Our focus today must be that the Lord is our righteousness. The reason why Advent matters is because the Lord came with purpose to live as one of us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. By his wounds, we are healed and cleansed and made to be like him. And in Advent, we wait for the promises of God to be fully realized. We mourn and cry out in pain for the sorrows that even have been spoken here today and the dangers we face, but we do so with hope. And as we come to the table of the Lord today, we recognize that all metaphors break down and that we actually are the guests at God's table that he has laid out for us. And we recognize that as we prepare room in our hearts for the Lord this Advent, it is we who have been invited to the meal of Jesus, and we are grateful. So may this time of communion Lead us to see that Jesus is not interested in the externals around the holiday of being our guest, but is most interested in being with us and showing us his plans for his arrival. And so let us commit to have our relationship with him be the focus of our celebrations. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, You can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.